Welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. Well, welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast. Today's guest is Megan Rose. Megan's the CEO of Better Together. And I just want to welcome you to the show, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Always an honor. Well, it's really great to have you back on the show. Just to give our listeners a little background on you, I'm going to read your bio. Megan is the CEO of Better Together. Better Together provides a voluntary and preventative alternative to foster care, serving more than 1,500 children and keeping 96% of them out of the system. Additionally, the organization's Better Work program has helped over 16,000 job seekers through church-based job fairs in 10 states. And Megan was a first guest on our show back in 2019 on episode 13, where we talked about the lessons learned from her first year as a CEO. So really appreciate you coming back, Megan, and curious to find out what's happened since you were last on. We had this year of a pandemic. 2020, obviously, was probably a better second year than it would be as a first year. But talk to us about what Better Together did to meet that need with the pandemic and what the last year has been like. Thanks, Trevor. Well, it's been a crazy year, but it really was our best year yet. It was our most impactful year as far as fundraising impact. And I really think it just shows the importance of just private charity, being able to be nimble, react to the needs of the community, quickly shift and adapt and be able to help families when they need it most. And that's what we do. We're on a mission to keep families together with our programs that lift people out of poverty through the power of jobs and helping parents just overcome a temporary crisis without losing their children to foster care. And the pandemic created two things, job loss and isolation. And so our programs were really able to fight back against those two things and really help families when they needed it most. And can you tell us, for listeners who aren't familiar with your program, how it works for somebody who needs that service where they not quite need foster care, but need like temporary help with childcare? Can you just walk us through how that works? Yes. So my background's in foster care. I was director of a foster care agency, did child welfare, and I went into it wanting to save children, but quickly realized that a lot of these families, they weren't bad parents. They were just parents that didn't have a lot of good choices. They were isolated and small problems quickly spiraled into really big problems that would result in them losing their children. And so what we do is families, if they are facing addiction, mental health, and they want to seek treatment, we give them a dignified option. They can place their children with one of our vetted and background checked volunteer families that will care for them short term why they work to get back on their feet. And this works for families that are homeless. Maybe they lost their job. They're facing a medical emergency. 60% of the kids that are in foster care are due to neglect. And research shows that neglect is preventable. And we're proving that by being able to connect these families that are struggling to volunteers that are caring and that want to come alongside and support them. That's great. And so what happens once the time period that the child's with one of these volunteer families, what happens at the end of that? Normally, the average stay is 41 days. And every time these kids are being reunited with their families, it's really just a celebration. We celebrate these families coming back together. Normally, there's cake involved. The volunteers are there. 
we are able to still build a relationship and continue to see these families grow, flourish, and thrive. So it's it's really incredible, especially when you look at the comparison to foster care. Their average stay is two and a half years compared to our 41 days that we're working with the family. Wow. One of the things I find incredible about Better Together is it's all volunteers who do this and take care of children. A child stays with them for 41 days, you said, on average, and someone's opening up their house, taking care of this child, and then helping these parents get back on their feet with whatever tragedy or challenge they're facing right now. So I think it's just incredible. You have volunteers, but then also you're able to coordinate this with your staff and your team. It really is incredible. Our volunteers showed the best in humanity this past year. It was really great to see them step up when they could have easily said no. You mentioned this year has been kind of a challenge and people really stepped up. What are some of the things that happened during the year that you guys had to adapt? And what are some of the things that kind of surprised you about the past year? So the biggest challenge, I think, was really not reacting to fear and uncertainty of the future and keeping our team and our network of volunteers safe, but also motivated while ramping up our services to really help families when they needed it most. As a preventative program, we needed to react quickly. We needed to help families before things spiraled out of control. And our greatest competitor was time. We had to act quickly. And what do you do? I mean, we do job fairs in person. You know, how do you have a job fair in the middle of a pandemic, especially when people are losing their jobs at a record rate? Well, you have to get creative. So our team got creative. We organized Southwest Florida's very first virtual job fair, and we did it within two weeks. And that first job fair helped over 650 people in the community that had lost their jobs due to the pandemic get reconnected to other means of employment. And that was the kickoff. We quickly just shifted to a virtual model with a lot of our church partners. We just knew people needed they needed help finding a job. And if we couldn't do it in person, we needed to find another way. And I was just surprised and amazed by our churches and our volunteers that were willing to innovate, create, and do something completely out of their comfort zone, especially for a lot of our churches. They are small. They are learning you know, technology. They're switching to virtual services. So they are already facing a lot of big challenges. And to be able to take this on as well, to be able to serve their community was just really amazing to see. And how did you motivate your team? You mentioned overcoming fear being such an important part of this, but it sounds like you basically are having to redo and do those job fairs from scratch because it's a virtual environment rather than having people come in person and completely different than you've done before. What did you do to get people and get your team motivated to take care and be able to pull this off? We really just focused on the why. Like it wasn't about numbers. It was about the why. Why are we doing this? Why is it important? And just having that sense of urgency and knowing that these are real people who are facing real challenges, who don't have time to wait for the government to get their act together to save them. They needed help right now. And empowering my team to really know that they can come up with solutions and they have answers that can really help empower families and really change the whole trajectory of some of their lives by getting them on a path to employment, by supporting their families when they need it, to avoid a lot of the breakdowns that happen with a family that can impact generations. I mean, their children, their future, 
And so just keeping everybody focused, but also empowering my staff. They're very entrepreneurial and giving them the freedom to make mistakes and try things new to really have that team approach where I was their cheerleader. You know, I was casting vision, supporting them, but also unleashing them because they're incredibly talented and they have a passion for what we do. And if I would have controlled that, we wouldn't have been able to have the impact that we had this past year. So what surprised you the most about this period? Man, Trevor, um, (laughs) so much surprised me from, I remember beginning of the year panicking. How are we going to raise money? How am I going to do meetings from a fundraising perspective to an impact? How are we going to help families? How are we going to continue to achieve our mission and vision? And I was just, I mean, one, my team, like to see them step up and be able to innovate and adapt was just incredible. And then I was just encouraged by our donors. The relationships we built with them were so strong. They were in this together with us. And then our churches and our volunteers, I mean, really was the best in humanity. People weren't acting out of fear and self-preservation. They wanted to help. I just think of that Mr. Rogers quote, and I really referred to this a lot in the just the start of the pandemic was in times of need, like look for the helpers. You will always find the helpers. And that's who we are. We were a network of helpers. Your volunteers, our churches, our staff, people are ready to help. And it just shows that civil society is still alive. Communities are still thriving and they want to help their communities. And that's the best place to start is in the community, helping the community. And we were able to do something that government wasn't able to do as quickly as we were able to. So it was really a tough year, but it was a year that really just grew us as a team and it was our best year yet. So when you say best year, like best year fundraising or best year in impact or what do you mean by best year? It was our best year to date and really every space from fundraising, we raised the most amount of money this year. Wow. We had our greatest impact to date. We had a breakout year for media just an incredible response for media. And we didn't have a PR team or anybody, you know, specialized helping with that. It was really organic and it was just a great year. I mean, all around and even like putting controls in different controls in place, restructuring the organization. I mean, we accomplished a lot and just really proud of our team and what we were able to do in a year like 2020. And now I'm like, man, if we could do that in 2020, I mean, there's nothing stopping us now. We're going to have, you know, that was a great year, but the best is still yet to come. And do you think like, so you talked about the community and these volunteers that you were able to rely on and these relationships you had with churches, were these new relationships or were these relationships you had built over time and it was like paying off? You know, it was a little bit of both. What I think is unique, especially with the seven figure fundraising is, you know, the way you treat donors and cultivate those relationships to be doing that. And I've really installed those values in our team is not only donors, you know, cultivating our volunteers, our churches, relationships with, you know, people in the community. And so we were able to really lean on them, but through those relationships and through our outcomes and just through our credibility, we were able to quickly get connected to new churches, new volunteers, and people who wanted to support us in our mission. That's great. Well, and I think it's one of these things like 
if donors, existing donors are seeing that you're adapting, you're changing, you know, I think there's sometimes this fear that we, it might be difficult for us to talk with them about how things have changed or something didn't work out in the past year, but really they just want to see you successful and they're excited to hear about how you've adapted, how you've changed things. And they don't really care if it's a virtual job fair or in-person job fair, what they're investing in and what they're partnering with you on is the results. And I really think it's just spoke volumes why we watched other nonprofits kind of shut down or not know what to do or be all doom and gloom end mm-hmm. of the world. We were a source of hope and encouragement and we stayed positive and we looked for solutions instead of barriers. And I think that really made us unique and set us apart from others um, throughout the year. And I know our donors saw that just to be able to hear from some of our donors, like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of our team, you know, meant a lot to us to be able to have them, you know, in that journey and to be able to show them the core culture of our team um, and our beliefs really, you know, practiced out in everything we're doing. It was a proud leader moment for me and just the importance of those relationships and what that looks like when you're continuing to grow an organization. Was there a moment where you kind of felt like it was going to be okay? Or was there something that happened that kind of made you think like, okay, we're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. No, it was just the peace. I just had a peace that everything was going to be okay. I knew that my ability to remain focused and at peace and have clarity and stay strong was so important for the rest of my team. And my board was very instrumental in helping, giving me the support. I mean, our churches, like saying, I mean, they're going through a lot and they're like, hey, Megan, how can I pray for you? How can I support you? So it's just really encouraging, especially knowing that you're not doing this alone. There's other people who are in a similar you know, circumstance. We're all going through this together. And so it's just really, I don't know, it was just really encouraging and I always think those are the opportunities where you can really be elevated and shine. And I've been through a lot in my past from trauma and tough situations to know like this wasn't the end of the world. Right. You know, it was going to be okay. We were going to get past this. And so I think perspective is so key. And to be able to have that perspective and know that, you know, this is a tough year, but we're all going to get through this year. And I think it really defines like how you react into these type of situations really defines like who you are as a leader, who you are as a nonprofit. And I'm really proud of what we accomplished and how we reacted to what seemed like impossible, you know, circumstances. Right. And for other CEOs who are kind of new to their role and perhaps hopefully this year won't be anything like last year, but you know, there's still challenges, (laughs) right? Knock on wood. There's still challenges though, that any organization's going to face and going into areas where you have no prior history of dealing with it or, you know, no roadmap of how you get through, what would you recommend be the thought process for these leaders as they're trying to decide what's the right course? I think sometimes it's important to take risks. We took some risks. We innovated to this virtual job fair. We've never done a virtual job fair. We threw it together pretty quickly, but we had a plan and we had the right people contributing and participating. And one of the biggest risks we took this year was we invited a journalist in the middle of a pandemic to walk alongside one of our families. We didn't hold back. We let them into every part of what we did. And it was a big risk. I remember the journalist looked at me 
because it was a tough family. And she looked at me and she's like, are you sure you want us to do this? I can exit now. Are you sure you want us to continue this story? But I was so confident in our model. I was confident in what we built. And I'm so glad we did. It was wild. The journalist ended up sharing the story in a four-part series and appeared on the front pages of USA Today papers in our area four consecutive days. I mean, and this was in the middle of some really big political things and what we're dealing with in the country. And here's our program front and center. And so it was really neat. And that was a risk. I am so glad that we took from doing our virtual job fair model to allowing a journalist to come follow us from just a lot of different things, you know, trusting my team and really watching them shine. I think it's important to, you know, have confidence in your team, have confidence in your model, shift and adapt quickly, but take those risks. And then, you know, sometimes they don't work out and that's okay. You learn and you adapt. That's, I think the beauty of being entrepreneurial, you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit is you learn, you adapt, you try new things and you figure out what works. Right. Well, and I think it'd be easy to paint the picture of everything that could go wrong, inviting a journalist to follow a client along the whole journey, which is what you guys did. And instead, you're like, no, let's do it. Did you worry at all? Like that level of transparency might just not be understood by the general public or like they might not understand the situation of the families that were being profiled in the piece or followed in the piece? I was really confident. You know, I was confident in my team and our model. I knew that we could get results with the toughest of families. And we had a family that was willing to let this journalist and this photojournalist follow them. And they're very transparent. And it really was a leap of faith for us. And there really wasn't any moment where, you know, I'm like, worst case is it doesn't go well because that sometimes happens, Mm -hmm. but we can show at least we gave it our best. And we believed in Crystal. We believed in Jason. I knew that our team was going to give it all we had, just like we do for every single family. And, you know, regardless of what happened, I was proud of what we were doing and the opportunity we were giving this family to create a better life and avoid the need of foster care. And it just, there's all these other USA Today hit pieces coming out, highlighting just a lot of the problems that were going on in foster care. So when I started seeing those pieces come out, I just thought the timing of this was really perfect to be able to show there is another way to help families that's better, that works. And then allowing the photojournalists and the journalists the freedom to be creative and really follow the story. They followed this family for four and a half months in the middle of this pandemic. Wow. And to see like our team in action to be able to shine light on their talent and these tough conversations. I think the story, the quality of it was so much better because we didn't try to control it. We just trusted this model we built and allowed them to be a part of it. And can you share for people who haven't read the article, just kind of the the short version of what happened and what was profiled in the story, you know, with Crystal and Jason? So we were introduced to Crystal from the Department of Children and Families. They're one of our partners. She was living in a halfway house. Jason was in the hospital. He had moved to a shelter. They were having some relationship issues and she had this sweet little boy, blonde hair, blue eyes, just adorable, named Jack. And they could have easily sheltered Jack and put him into the foster care system. But they saw Crystal and they believed in her and they saw potential and she wanted to better herself and her situation. And so 
we just connected her with this amazing host family. The host family actually ended up being a department and children and family supervisor. He started out as just referring families to us. And then he became a host family himself because he believed in our model and saw how effective it was. And they wanted to be a part of it. And we worked with Crystal as far as employment. We helped her save money, helped her with budgeting and helped Jason get the treatment he needed. He was struggling with addiction. And so he needed some support um, and she was able to get into a home. Um, she had a great job. We were able to set up childcare. And this was last year. And yesterday I got an update from my team and Jack and Crystal and Jason are doing great. They saved enough money. They just bought a car. They're both working and they still have this amazing relationship with the family, the volunteers that care for Jack short term. And so that's just so beautiful about this model and the volunteers. We're kind of like the Uber. We're connecting the helpers to the hurting and giving them a structure to be successful. And this family, I mean, they had a, a rough life. It was like an onion. You know, we kept peeling back layers and it was, you know, a hard situation. But that's how we get the best results with our families. The toughest families is we have a model that really empowers people to help themselves and unleashes volunteers to really, you know, come alongside these families and elevate them and support them and help them be successful, not just temporarily, but long-term. That's so great. And I love your line about your Uber do it, connecting the helpers with the hurting. That's a uh, great line. I think a great summary of what you guys do. What a great story too, you know, like people getting ahead during the pandemic. A lot of people, you know, it would have been easy kind of to write that year off, but you're able to help them by connecting them with the help, but also with the treatment and these other aspects that they need and looking at the whole family. I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk, obviously this is a seven-figure fundraising podcast, and talk a little bit about fundraising. And you alluded to that earlier, how this has been your best year. And partially, that's also been driven by all of the media attention you've had organically over the past six to 12 months. Can you talk to us about how you've generated this earned media and then what's worked for that and then what it's resulted in with fundraising? So it has been a wild year. Like I said, it was a breakout year for media, um, organic just relationships. And it really all started by meeting this really inspiring photojournalist who is local. And he shared his own personal story and how it related to the work we were doing and how important it was. And he was like, I'd love to capture some moments. I'd love to, you know, shine a light on the work you're doing. And so we allowed him to come and capture some moments. And that led to an introduction to a journalist, an idea with a story. And we just kind of ran with it. And when you're doing good work, I really feel like people want to catch notice and especially in the year like 2020 when everything was doom and gloom and all the negative headlines and all the terrible things that were happening across our country to be a source of light and hope to show that people were helping and people were like you said, getting ahead in the middle of a pandemic was really rewarding. And even just taking risks, Fox four did a story on one of our job fairs and we started building a relationship with that news anchor and he was a really great guy. And even once the story ended, we kept building that relationship again, cultivating those relationships. And through a conversation, he was like, he pitched me actually. And he's like, what do you think about our new station 
partnering with you leading up to one of your job fairs and kind of a no brainer, like, let's do right, this. Yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we didn't know exactly what it would look like, but I trusted him through this relationship and we had a mutual trust and we were partners. We were in it together and we both had a shared goal of wanting to help the community rebound and recover. So it was really exciting to see, have an understanding of what we're doing, be able to build these relationships. And from a fundraising perspective, it was really incredible. I mean, we started checking the mail and finding first-time gifts that ranged from $1,000 to $10,000 from people we have never interacted from. Wow, that's and, amazing. Oh, it was incredible. And just people reaching out, just feeling inspired. I mean, I remember getting emails still to this day of people just reminding me, like, thank you so much for you do. Like, it's inspiring. Like, it gives me hope for humanity and to really draw the community together. You know, maybe they can't host a child in their home. Maybe they can't host a job fair or job coach or mentor, but they can give diapers. We had a bank donate $30,000 worth of formula and diapers in the middle of the pandemic to support our volunteers. And so I think like good work gets noticed and, you know, we've been doing good work for a long time and even when it's not getting noticed, I think the importance of still having integrity in all you do and working really hard, but then finding those opportunities and networking, building relationships and taking risks. And just like with prospective donors, sometimes they're going to tell you no. It's the same with the media. I mean, you can pitch them and the worst thing they say is no. And then you can just keep cultivating those relationships. And it's been really neat now to be a source where the news comes to us and wants our area of expertise and our opinion or what we're doing has been really remarkable and really exciting for us. And what does that look like when you say cultivate your relationship with these reporters or these news anchors? Like, what are the actual steps of that? If someone's trying to copy what you've done successfully in Southwest Florida, they want to do it like, you know, in Michigan or Iowa. Yeah. So I really think it's, you know, kind of the same thing we do with our donors is we do thank you bombs. We want to thank them, you know, handwritten cards, letters, Also, you know, not just making it about like, let's pitch you, like caring about their family. How are they doing? How are they panning out through this pandemic? What are the areas of interest that they care about? And then, you know, we've had some where it's it's really not a good fit and to be able to connect them to some other really great nonprofits that are doing good work. I always think of just um, Taryn. He told me once, you know, generosity isn't a fixed pie and it's not. And I think it's the same with, you know, media and communications too. They're looking for good stories and to be a partner. Sometimes now they'll come to us and say, Hey, do you know any great nonprofits or stories? So to be a source of stories for them, where if it is a hook for better together, that's great. But if it's not, you know, that's okay too. You know, we're adding value to them and they're adding value to us. And it really, you know, seeing them as a partner, not just a transactional relationship where, you know, it's one and done. They do the story, we move on and. So really like a lot of the same concepts with seven figure fundraising and the way you prospect donors, the way you cultivate donors and the way you engage them as a partnership. That's so interesting and like almost counterintuitive that treating media like a donor, but you think about it, it makes a ton of sense. It's relational. You know, as you said, it's about creating long-term, you know, figuring out what they need to be successful and then helping them be successful, whether it's a different story than what you can help them with, but finding that right person. I think that's a really interesting perspective. I don't think, I think it's kind of counterintuitive. So I lo- love how you've approached that. 
when you said like thank you bombs and like these handwritten notes, what like can you give us some like specifics on that? Like, say a reporter reaches out to you for the first time because they read a st- article or they want to do a story. How do you engage with them? And then obviously it's probably not you know this set in stone system, but what would that interaction look like? And then what would the follow up be? Yeah. So we were just doing like, thank you emails, you know, thank you texts, thank you cards in the mail, and just making sure that they knew we were so grateful for the opportunity for them to shine a light on the work we're doing and for the hard work they were putting into, from, you know, from our journalists who followed our story. That was a lot of time and that was a lot of effort on her part in the middle of a pandemic. And for Fox 4, that manager to take time and take a chance and be able to care about their community. And it wasn't just like saying thank you for doing a story on us. It was just thank you for their like their willingness to care about the community and wanting them, you know, shine a light on what we're doing to be able to help people find jobs. There's a million stories they could have focused on, but they took the time to help the community get connected to employment. And that's really remarkable. And I think that needs to be thanked. And we need to do our job of thanking them for spreading the word because of them being a part of it. It was a return on investment. I mean, the 650 people that walked through that job fair, you know, some of them was a result directly because of the media that they put around it. So they were impacting lives, just like our donors would impact lives or the volunteers that were being a part of that you know, it's unique and it's different and probably works a little bit better for, you know, nonprofits and the work we're doing than like a political think tank or some other nonprofits. But we're able to really channel the good, I think, in local community and local news to be able to, you know, allow them to be a part of the solution and helping their community and making sure that they knew the stories of impact that were a result of their journalism. Well, and I think it's such a key point, what you said about how, you want to thank them for how they're doing their job, not for covering you. And that's a very different, because it's making them, the journalists themselves, feel better about the work they're doing. They're kind of in thankless jobs. You know, they do a, write a story or do a TV news series and half the people hate it. They always get negative feedback. <laughs> but like having that positive feedback, not about just the story, but how they do their job, how they think, how they value the community. I can see that being really rewarding as someone getting that feedback. I want to go back. You mentioned you brought in a photojournalist. Is this someone you had hired to do the pictures or is it just someone who wanted to do this freelance or how did that work if someone else is interested in getting someone to document their work? So this guy is just an incredible human being and he really resonated with our mission and he resonated with the work we were doing and He had a really compelling background and story. He volunteered his time. I mean, he was shining a light on a few other nonprofits as well, but he volunteered his time to really shine a light on the work we were doing in the community. And it was really instrumental for us and just his creativity, his ideas, his feedback. And it later became, we were paying him to capture additional moments outside of that initial work he was doing because he was just so talented. He was very gifted and he was really outside the box, which our team was outside the box. And so we found a lot of value in that. And it wasn't something he wasn't trying to pitch us for a job at all. He just, this was his part to play, to help families and help the community. And it just blossomed to a really great partnership and relationship. And we're still really grateful for him and just his friendship and support just even supporting, like he'll randomly just say, Hey, how are you doing? 
And a lot of what he does is what we do. Like it's just relational, just caring about the person, not just the thing they're doing for you. Answering the phone and being there, I think means a lot and is really important. When he's taking these photos for you, are you able to use those and give those to the media so they can run them in their stories? Is that how it works or? Yeah. So he was sharing on his social media and we were able to share those stories with local media. We were able to use those stories on our website. Like I love our website and I love all of our collateral because it's real family. It's nothing stock photos. It's real moments, like raw moments, moments that aren't all smiles and really raw emotion. He took photos of Crystal and Jack the day before she placed her son, her most valuable possession with a complete stranger. And he captured those moments and he captured along the whole journey. The journalist is writing notes and he's capturing these moments, the good and the hard moments, the good moments and the tough conversations. I love that because it's real, it's powerful. And I think a lot of people have really connected with those moments and could see themselves in those moments themselves because we all have bad days. We all go through a difficult season of our lives and we know what it's like to be sad or upset or excited or hopeful. So it's really neat. I think the power of, especially now with the pandemic and going virtually, the power of photos and telling your story and videos is really important and a really great investment. Well, and it's such a good idea, like hiring, not just a photographer, you know, working with a photojournalist. So he understands like the language that the other media is going to be using, what type of shots they would like to have in their stories and then that sort of partnership. So it's easy for them to tell your story and provide these really raw and meaningful photos, not the touched up, beautiful stock photos of the happy family, (laughs) kind of looking off the screen sort of thing you're used to seeing. And always even too, like we invited him for feedback and we asked people for feedback. He would give us some very honest feedback, but the feedback that he gave us propelled us to be better. I think that's so important from always being willing to learn, whether it's fundraising or if it's communications or messaging, like how do you tell your story? I think it's so important to just be receptive and open and listen because some of the things like we learned through walking in his shoes and hearing his story and just feedback was so critical and just not him, a lot of other people that we came across. And even I think my own success is partly because I've surrounded myself with really smart people. I mean, our donors, my board members, like they all have these little nuggets of information and advice and lessons learned that if you really take the time to listen, you can learn so much from that and then apply it to your leadership and your mission and what we're set off to do as an organization. So it's just amazing, like the resources that you have all around you, if you just really take the time to listen and ask those questions and be prepared, like maybe it's not the answer you love, but what can you learn from it? Yeah, being curious, right? Like, cause it's so easy when someone starts giving you feedback, like your guard goes up and you're that kind of brace for negative versus most of the time people have good intentions when they're giving feedback, even if it's worded poorly or anything like that. And just being curious about how you can use it, how you can improve. Do you mind sharing some of the feedback he gave you or that you were able to use? Yeah. So some of the feedback was really you know, putting ourselves in 
the shoes of our families and not removing their dignity and just even being really careful and intentional with how we share their stories. And because, you know, we're always looking to share stories. We want to share stories, but being really sensitive on how we share their stories and making sure they're comfortable with that. And I just think it's really important. And even just highlighting, not just highlighting the families we're helping, but the volunteers, the churches, the community partners, our team, we shined a light on our team. I talk a lot about my team, but they're my greatest asset really shining a light on them and their heart and their passion, I thought was really just important and just as important as the lives of the people we're touching. Just even like with, we're going through the whole George Floyd situation and just having somebody to kind of, we wanted to build trust in communities. We wanted to be empathetic and understanding. We wanted to understand the needs of our community in a much more meaningful way. And so inviting us in and connecting us to the right people and having sometimes like tough conversations was really impactful for our team. And just this was a season of impact, but also a season of growth, I think, for our team in a lot of different areas. That's really interesting. And your point about being able to have someone else there that's looking at it from a different perspective and able to pick up on these different things, it's really, I think very positive to you and your team that you're able to take that feedback. And because you're probably, you're not intentionally doing anything that makes people you're helping feel bad. But on the other hand, when someone else sees it, they're like, well, maybe you need to tweak your framing here, or tweak how you talk about it and change a little bit. So it's just great. You guys are so open to that and, you know, keep adapting and getting better. I think it's that mindset, like just having curiosity, always being willing to learn and just wanting to grow and improve. And I think one of my board members told me this. He's like, the moment you think you're comfortable, the moment where you're no longer nervous when you're sitting in front of a donor or about to give a presentation, he's like, quit. He's like, the moment that you think you have it all together, he's like, that's the moment you need to leave. And I think it's so true. You always have to be innovating. You always have to be growing. You always have to be learning. You always have to be connected to the mission and the people and the why. You should be nervous because if you're not, then you're not preparing. You're not going to put your best foot forward and you're not going to move this organization to reach its potential and help impact families. And so I think that's really important and something that's been really intentional is just always being curious, asking questions, wanting feedback, wanting to learn really utilizing these incredible people and resources that you have all around you and being really generous with your time. I think it's easy as a leader, especially if you're CEO, you have these really big things that you're trying to tackle. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for you to not make time for just certain parts. And I just think of one of my board members has been really generous with me over the past few years. And he's an, really an important guy who's got a big job and, but he makes time for me and that matters. And it's been just critical to me as a leader. And so to be able to pay it forward and be generous to other people, I think it's really important and I'm so grateful for that. And so I want to be able to do that as well. That's such a good point. And I think that's a great place to wrap up this interview. But before we go, we always want people to take action from listening to the podcast and have something that they can do because of this. What's one thing you'd recommend nonprofit leaders listening to this podcast do as a result of this episode? So I would say, Trevor, 
like I said, 2020 was our most impactful year yet. And so when you're faced with overwhelming needs and significant challenges, don't shut down, don't lose hope. Instead of seeing barriers, see opportunities, get creative. I think you'll be inspired and surprised by just your team and what you're able to accomplish. That's great advice, Megan. Where can people find out more about you and Better Together? So you can go to our website, www.bettertogetherus.org. And yeah, we are always looking for churches and volunteers and supporters and would love to hear from you. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you again and having you on the podcast and wish you a really great 2021 and hopefully it'll be your best year ever, even better than last year. That's the plan. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in our upcoming workshop, visit our website at sevenfigurefundraising.com. We conduct these workshops twice a year in March and September, and we've broken these workshops up so you can take them live online with six two-hour courses spread over three weeks. We'll send you a workbook and other class materials to make it really easy for you to follow along. In fact, this is what one of our students, Austin, said about his experience in our workshop. Hi, my name is Austin Brooks. I'm an executive director of a nonprofit called Midland Institute for Entrepreneurship. I took seven figure fundraising 18 months ago. And since that course, um, two things I want to share. One is the results. Two is what I didn't expect. And the results as a nonprofit, even though we reach into 10 states, even though we're working in 320 high schools, um, we've always had a pretty small donor base. And what's been so powerful in the results that we've seen since this course is I've successfully been able to recruit and add some new donors that had never previously been given to our organization. And then more importantly, there's this idea that's going to be shared in this course called the dynamic dozen. You have to take the course to figure out what it's about. But within our dynamic dozen, we had five donors increase their giving in a big way. And between that and the new donors, this has been a game changer for our growing nonprofit. But the second thing that I really took away that really matters is just the mindset shift. What I wasn't expecting was how much my mindset needed to shift, how much I had to shift my poverty thinking or my scarcity mindset to realizing that whether there's a recession, whether we lose a couple donors, if your organization is doing good work, more people need to know about it. And so the confidence that I gained in terms of talking to high level individuals who believe in our mission has just grown. And what's been more um, impressive than anything is the proof has been in the actual donors we've gained. So if I can do this, I believe you can. You can't miss this course. You got to take it. If you're interested in attending, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. We hope to see you there. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please take 60 seconds to leave a review. Thanks a lot and good luck with your fundraising.